Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. Good to see you this morning. God bless you. Everybody doing well? Somebody say hallelujah. We uh, so blessed by the worship this morning. Just sweet, sweet presence of the Lord. Bless the praise team. Would you do that? Let's just bless them. We appreciate them. Amen. Today, I'm just going to go ahead and let you be seated. I want to talk to you. I actually had somebody to uh, question about Cain and Abel and why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's sacrifice. And you know, if you were to go to the library somewhere and check out a book on world religions, uh, you'd find many different religions, um, in fact, hundreds. Most books would tell you there's 12 major religions of the world and all kind of sub-religions through that. And it would make you think that there's just many, many different kinds of religions out there, but actually there's only two. There's two religions. There's one religion that's based on human effort, works of man, his efforts, and then the second one is based on the blood of Jesus. And that's really, you can boil them all down to either one of those two. I'm entitling this two brothers, two religions, and people, they waste a lot of time trying to, you know, I've heard of people studying all the religions of the world, trying to figure out what's the best one. And, but, but when you strip it all down, it's simply a choice of either your works or his blood. It, it, it's one or the other. And... Cain tried to impress God with his works. And since Cain, men have been trying to impress God with what they've done, the fruits of their labor. And since Cain, God has been continually rejecting their offering, just like he did Cain's. In Genesis 4 and and, uh, verse 4 and 5, it says, The Lord looked with favor. With acceptance is what that means. It was an acceptable sacrifice on Abel. And his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Abel, the Bible says, he offered the firstborn of the flock. What Cain did is brought a salad. (laughs) He brought a fruit basket, if you will. He brought of the fruit of his own labor. And this is why that Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was rejected. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, listen to what it says. It says, by faith. Everybody say, by faith. And it said, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Now, how many knows that this is the very beginning? This is in Genesis 4, very early. We're in the Old Covenant here. Actually, the Old Covenant has not actually been even given because Moses has not yet been born. But the types and shadows are present right from the beginning. And so we got Cain and Abel who both exhibit faith, but Abel's faith, the Bible said, led to a more excellent sacrifice. Now, I want to say something to you that a lot of people just don't get this. They miss this. True biblical faith never initiates an action. In other words, true biblical faith is always a response from us trusting in a word from God. 
That's what true faith is. We don't generate it. We respond to it. We're responding to the word of God. So you say, well, what was Abel responding to when he, when he offered that, that sacrificial offering, those animals? He, he was responding to the pattern and the sacrifice that God had given and gifted to Adam and Eve, his parents. Now, I mean, I mean there's no way that you can't believe that Adam and Eve did not share with their children uh, their story and and how that they learned from their parents that God in the beginning had shed the blood of innocent animals to hide their nakedness and God had covered them the Bible says and so by faith Abel put his trust in that blood sacrifice and he believed that that kind of sacrifice that type of sacrifice would make him acceptable to God and it did but now Abel's faith was simply him responding to what God had already done, but Cain's faith was in the work of his own hands. In other words, Abel considered what God had done. He responded to what God had done, and, 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 he, was, and he was putting his faith in what God had done. Do you see the difference? <clears throat> but what Cain did, Cain wanted God to look at what he had done, what, what he had come up with. And, and I will tell you, he offered a sacrifice by the sweat of his brow. He had labored, he had cultivated, he had done all these things, and when he offered it to God, in other words, Cain was trying to invent his own religion, but he was rejected. The Bible said Cain got angry. Actually, in the Hebrew, it uses a word that said he went off to sulk. And, uh, but when, when he did that, God still didn't abandon him. God speaks to him in verse 7 of Genesis 4, and he told him, he says, why, you know, why is your countenance down? Why, why are you acting like this? He said, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Well, what is right? What's right is responding in faith to what God has done. What's right is putting our confidence in the blood of Jesus. And, and all these sacrifices uh, was pointing to the one sacrifice that was to come, and that was the sacrifice of God's Son. Can you say amen? Now, now, religion based on human effort, it, it, listen, it continues to be unacceptable to God. Uh, you can labor, you can toil, you can serve, you can bring costly sacrifices every day of your life, and it will not change your standing before God one bit. You, you, listen, you can't buy your salvation with acts of charity with acts of benevolence. You, you can't bribe your way into the book of life. Are you with me? You, 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 don't get angry uh, like Cain did, but just repent. Repent means what? Change your thinking and just put your faith in the sacrifice that God has given. Now, now this don't mean, of course, obviously, that you got to go out and slaughter some poor little old sheep today, right? Because the Bible says clearly in Hebrews 10 and 4 that the blood of animals cannot take away sin it's impossible but every one of these animals in the old covenant that were sacrificed was simply shadows pointing to the lamb of god that would be slain on the cross two thousand years ago can you say amen and that that lamb that would come through his one-time sacrifice would be more than enough to account for and pay for all the sins of the entire world can you say amen? that's what the bible says now, Hebrews 9.26 says he then would, would have had to suffer often. In other words, if the sacrifice did not work, Christ would have to often suffer. Every time somebody would come and, and, and bring their sin, he would have to suffer. But Hebrews 9.26 says he would then have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, everybody say, but now. See, once at the end, how many times? 
once at the end of the age he has appeared to put away sin how by the sacrifice of himself what did he do with sin he put it away what did he do he did what John the Baptist pointed at him at his baptism and said behold the Lamb of God that does what takes away the sin of the world and so just like there's uh, just two there's two brothers there's two religions then I'll tell you basically you can boil it down to there's two kind of preachers okay uh one preacher will tell you that we are qualified by the blood of Jesus Christ, period. The other will tell you you're qualified by your works, and you maintain your salvation by what you do. Now, though these two preachers may look the same, I'll tell you something, their messages is totally different, absolutely different. And, and so the, the works preacher will say things like this. You, you, you know, yeah, you're saved by grace, but now you have to keep yourself saved by what you do. From here on... It's contingent upon you what you do. And, and, and that's what most of us grew up in. The, the, uh, you make a mistake, uh, then you're, you're lost for eternity. But the blood preacher that trusting in the sacrifice like, like Abel offered will say Jesus' blood is your eternal and complete redemption. That's what Hebrews 9 and 12 teaches us. The works preacher will say things like this. They'll say, don't touch, don't handle, come ye out from among the world, be ye holy. And they think that you make yourself holy. And they're always striving to become holy as if that's possible. Right? And, 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 but the blood preacher, this trusting in the blood of Jesus, will, will say, uh, we separate ourselves from unclean things, absolutely. But we separate ourselves from unclean things not to become holy, but because we are holy already. You see, there's a big difference. In other words, we're living out of the reality that happened when we were born again. Ephesians chapter 4. I always quote these verses. I love these verses. Ephesians 4, verses 23 and 24. God says here in the New Testament, in the epistle to the church at Ephesus, he says, Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, you've got to think differently about yourself. You've you got to think differently than the way religion has taught you to think about you. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and then that you put on the new man. Now, what's he talking about, put on the new man? Yeah, it's not something physical we put on, but he says in the spirit of your mind, you have to see yourself as that new creation. You're, you're not the old you that's been renovated, reupholstered, got a paint job, a little improvement here and there. God did, the old us was so messed up that it had to be crucified, buried, uh, with Christ. Any man that's in Christ, the Bible says, is now a new creation, not an old creation with a paint job. Right? You, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have done what? They've passed away. Behold, all things become new. So he says, put on the new man, which, listen to this, and put on the new man, which was, not will be one day over yonder in the glory land by and by after a while. Are you with me? But put on the new man, which was, past tense, created according to what? Now, your new man is your spirit that got born again. And when you were born again, your spirit became created according to God. Now, if you can hear this, your spirit is pound for pound, molecule for molecule, just like God. First John says, as he is, so are we now in this world. I'm going to have to take a drink on that one. Can y'all say amen? I'm telling you, most believers don't get this. Because they don't feel that way. 
And they don't always behave that way. But that doesn't change what God did in your spirit. He says, to put on the new man which was created according to God in what? True righteousness. The only true righteousness is Christ's righteousness. All other righteousness is filthy rags. But he he said, you were created, and, and Romans teaches us clearly that righteousness was gifted to you. The gift of righteousness. Paul said you need to get that revelation of that. When did you become righteous? When you got born again. Do you always act righteous? No. But you will act more righteous knowing and believing that in your spirit you are as righteous as God and live out of that truth. Then you'll, you'll live a better life because you'll think right and you'll live right. He said that you're created according to God in true righteousness and, there it is, holiness. Both of those things were gifted to you. Neither one of those things, righteousness or holiness, it is anything that you and I with any kind of behavior will ever achieve. If you could achieve righteousness or holiness on your own, you wouldn't need Jesus. But we can't achieve it, we receive it. Can you say amen? Now, the works preacher will say stuff like, well, if you confess your sins, then he will forgive you. If you don't confess your sins, then you're doomed. And, and they'll use verses to scare you. Now, I'm not saying these guys have a diabolical, I'm just saying this out of ignorance. Okay? I'm not saying that they're going around with this, you know. They'll, but they'll say things, you know, and you've heard me talk about this, but they'll say things like, stay close to the words in red and you'll be, you'll be all right. Because, you know, words are red and... Words of red are to make you dead. Remember that one. Words in red are to make you dead. In other words, what does the Bible say? The letter, the law, does what? Killeth. The law is designed to kill you. But the Spirit gives life. The law was sent to make sin exceedingly sinful so that you would realize you can't do it on your own. You can't save yourself. You can't live good enough, and you would give up on trying, and you would say, I need a Savior, and there's Christ standing right there to save you. And what the righteous you tried to achieve, you couldn't, he gives it to you because he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his holiness. But they'll read these scriptures to you, and I used to think this stuff too, man. I mean, I had to come into the revelation of God's grace because I was raised under this stuff. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and verse 15, and I still see people running around telling people this. And these are words in red. And Jesus is saying them, and when he said them, they are true. But you've got to remember that Jesus, the Bible says in Galatians, was born under the law to redeem those under the law. If I was to ask you who is the greatest preacher of the law, it would not be Moses. It would be Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew 5, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus says amazing things in there. He says, and he tells those people, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will then by no means go to heaven. Those people are like, my God, who can be saved? Jesus said, if, you, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. <laughs> I mean, he said amazing things. If your eye, pluck it out. He just, what, what, what was he talking? He was preaching the law to those that, listen, had watered down the law. See, they said, well, I hadn't actually committed adultery with anybody, so I'm good on that one. I'll check that one off. I, thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm good on that one. Jesus said, if you've ever looked at anybody and lusted after them, uncheck it because you're an adulterer. Hello? So what did Jesus do with his preaching? He made everybody that was listening to his sermon adulterer. 
Now, there was some of them sitting out there arrogant and proud, and I'm better than this guy over here, and I'm better than that woman over there. No, Jesus said, we're all sinners. We're all lost. He said, some of you said, think you're good because you've never murdered anybody. He said, if you've ever hated anybody, guess what? You're a murderer. Did Jesus lower the law? No, he brought the spirit of the law up to the true standard. He said, y'all just been fronting and playing. You, 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 ain't, you ain't saving yourself. That's why I'm here. That's why he came, to seek and to save that that was lost. And so they'll read these verses in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father, guess what? He'll also forgive you. But, but, see, I spent decades living under this. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So in other words, if you can't forgive somebody, you're going to hell. And I don't know about you, and y'all may not like a preacher that this real, but I've had some people I've had a hard time forgiving. You just ain't been gutted like me. <laughs> I know you got it together. Now pray for me. I need to help. You need to practice. Bill, use these verses on you today in 2021 and scare the heaven out of you. Who can live like that? In other words, so my whole salvation then is contingent on my ability to forgive people. Because, you know, and then they'll, they'll add things, well, you, you, know, you know, you didn't forgive them, so God don't forgive you, and God don't hear your prayers no more, you're cut off, you're out of fellowship, here, here it goes the list. That is a miserable, horrible way to live, and it's not true. Now, this was true when Jesus said it, because he said it prior to going to the cross. And again, he's, he's, he's preaching law to those under the law. And that's the way it was under the law. That's the way it was under the law. But once that cross comes and the burial and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus comes, the cross changes everything. And from that point on, uh, you, don't, you won't hear that quoted ever again. No, no, it's because you are forgiven now. What, what you got to understand is that they'll use in verses, I'm, again, I'm not saying it's diabolical and with intent on their part, but they just out of ignorance, they'll, they'll throw that on you and, it, and, 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 it's, and it, bottle, it boxes you up. Am I saying it's okay to unforgive, have unforgiveness? Absolutely not. And God gives you grace. He says to forgive even as you have been forgiven. So after the cross, Paul says, forgive one another even if, as Christ forgave you. So he's encouraging us, forgive people. Because holding bitterness and, and unforgiveness against somebody only hurts you. It never does the pain to them that you want it to do. Okay? So, so God's not endorsing, nor am I saying it's okay to have bitterness, unforgiveness, and all that in your heart. No, I'm not saying that. Yeah, uh, forgive. But sometimes, and I've said this, and I'll just say this quick and move on. I, I realized in my younger Christian life, sometimes people hurt you so bad. And it's the ones you put the most trust in. It can be a family member. It can be a spouse. It can be, but sometimes hurts are not superficial. It's not like getting a splinter in your skin, you pull it out, and you're okay. Sometimes they put a sword in you. And so what I realized in, in, early in my ministry was, I, I, in other words, I've been hurt. I, I, had, I had a person that I greatly esteemed hurt me really bad. And, and in this case, it was really no fault of my own. It was just because I didn't take an appointment of a church somewhere that they wanted me to take. And I just didn't go because I didn't feel like God wanted me to go there. And so I got, I got just railed out by an overseer 
And, and, and he said in judgment, and I realized the guy was over 150 churches and he was, had a lot of pressure, I'm sure. But don't call me on Friday and tell me to be there Sunday as their pastor. <laughs> That's what he did. And because I said, no, I want to pray about it, I knew, you know, here he just weighed into me, laid into me hard. Taught me like I was a dog. That's somebody I highly respected. Man, that hurt. My wife would tell you, she, she was standing there while I was on the phone with the guy, and before I got off the phone, I was crying. He told me, he said, you won't never quit your job. You're the chief of the ambulance service. You won't never quit. You love that job more than you love God. And he just weighed into me hard. He said in judgment of my motive, my intent, everything about me. And all the things he was saying was not true. Obviously, I've quit that job. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, it wasn't true. And so I went, you know, and it hurts you. And, I, and so I'm hanging up, and this guy just, this guy, and, then, and he finished the conversation by, I'll never offer you another church as long as I live. Boom. <laughs> well, praise the Lord, wasn't that wonderful? You know, and so I'm, I'm, I'm weeping. And I spend a day or two just broken and hurt. And then, it, and then my dial changes over from weeping to anger. And then I want to go up there and where he's at. And I want to wrestle on the carpet in his office with him while I tippy-tap on the head. I'm saying I had a feeling like that. Now I'm gone from hurt. Now I'm angry. I'm angry. But I know better. And so I pray, God, I forgive this guy. You know, he, you know, he knoweth not what he do and whatever, you know. And I, I prayed the prayer, okay. And I meant it when I prayed it. I didn't feel any kind of love towards him. I didn't want to go hang out with him. I didn't want to go eat a hamburger with him. I, I, I just said, Father, I forgive him. You know, I mean, you're in charge of my life and ministry. That guy's not. And, and I can't help all that went down. Don't understand it. Don't, I don't, you know, I didn't think it was like this. But anyhow, I forgive the guy. A month goes by, and another guy that worked in that office uh, that was uh, another high official wanted to take me to lunch, and I went to lunch. And he, we were sitting at lunch, and I'll never forget it. He asked me, he said, I heard about what happened, what the overseer said to you, and this and that, and whatever. And uh, so we started talking about it. You're going to think this is weird, but this is the feeling I had. I didn't go into no trance or vision. But I, it was like I was sitting over at another table watching me and this guy talk, and what was coming out of me was not forgiveness. <laughs> It was still rotten bitterness. And, 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 and I didn't know all this back then. I didn't know that those words in red didn't, I mean, didn't apply. That was prior to the cross. And, and I remember I came home and I was so afraid because I said, I'm cut off. Because obviously I ain't forgive that guy even though I said I have. I hadn't because that was his anger coming out of me. And even the guy that I was talking to, he said, brother, I think you still got some work to do. <laughs> I don't think you over it yet. And I was like, I've forgiven him. He said, don't sound like it. <laughs> it don't feel like it. And I remember I went home, and I, and, I, and, I, and I, honest to God, I went to a place of prayer, and I was just praying, and I, I, and I felt fear. That's not God. Fear's not God. And I started being afraid. And I said, God, I, I mean, I, I can't do this. I thought I did a month ago. Here it is a month later. I'm, 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 I'm in a mess. And, I went to, and God has to, see, I'm a, I'm a simple guy. God shows me pictures. And, and what I saw appear in my mind, however God does this stuff, was an onion, a, a huge onion. And he used an onion because, you know, the closer it gets, the more it make you cry and this and that and all that. 
and, and, and I heard myself praying a month prior, God forgive him, I forgive this guy. I forgive, you know, and I saw a hand reach in and start peeling that onion. But it was peeling layers. And, and, and now the onion was about the half the size that it was a month ago. But God said, son, keep with it. You, you, you were hurt so deeply in this that it's multiple layers of hurt. That hurt went deep inside you. That was not a superficial hurt. That hurt went deep inside. It wounded your heart. And every time that that comes up, however it comes up, just forgive the guy. And, before, and every time you do, son, my hand is pulling off layers of that hurt. And I'm healing of that hurt. And before long, there's not going to be no more onion there. And so today, that guy's name can be brought up. I, I can remember it. I can remember it. But I don't remember it in the sense that I'm hurt by it any longer. God is all, he's proven himself. That, you know, and people under pressure, they do things, they say things, they, 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 they hurt you, and sometimes they don't really have intent to hurt you. They're just under pressure and they hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. But I learn sometimes, and I'm not telling you it's okay, but, but don't buy into the false religious one time, you know, snatch the Band-Aid off quick and you'll be cured kind of deal. So if you're still struggling with something that you've been hurt, man, just keep with it. Not, not that God hadn't forgiven you and not that God hadn't forgiven the person because he's forgiven the world of the sin. I'm just saying that you've got something to just say, Father, I acknowledge that I forgive them. I promise you for long there won't be any onion left to make you cry. It, 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 won't, bother, it won't be there no more. Um, can I say this to you? The blood preacher is going to tell you this. The works preacher is going to say forgiveness is now contingent upon you. They've only got one verse in the whole New Testament Bible that they will use, and that's 1 John 1 and 9, and I don't have time to just unpack that. But that verse is not talking to believers, telling us that once we're saved, we have to from that point on confess each and every sin, which is what I was taught. And it's the verse that says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The word sins there, by the way, look it up, check it out, see if I'm telling the truth, is a noun. It's not a verb. So he's not talking about forgiving you of things you do wrong, like Christians make that verse say. It doesn't say that at all. Most of the time, in fact, in your whole New Testament Bible, when you see the word sin, it doesn't mean a verb or an action or something you've done. It means sin, the entity. The noun, person, place, or thing, and that's a fact. 39 times Romans says sin, 38 times it's a noun, only one time in the whole book of Romans is a verb. That is extremely important that you get that. And I've blogged about that, I've wrote about that, and it's in my book. It's important that you understand that. Most Christians don't understand that. They see sin as something they do, an action, a verb. I stole this, I did this, I lust. No, sin is a, is a thing that, that Jesus became on the cross <laughs> Him who knew no sin became sin. And God's wrath was poured out upon that sin, and that thing was taken away. So forgiveness does not start with us. If you can just get that statement, forgiveness, your forgiveness does not start with anything you do. In other words, you don't start to train your forgiveness going, God did that. God did it before you were born. God did it without you. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain. He was slain for the forgiveness of sin and for the gift of life. So forgiveness, God don't need your permission. 
God don't have you to say your Hail Marys. God don't need none of that for you to be forgiven. God's already forgiven you. You may not receive it. You may not enjoy the benefit of that forgiveness, but you are forgiven because Jesus accomplished what he came to do. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. He is the propitiation, which means the acceptable sacrifice. And, 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 and it says not for our sins alone, but for the sins of the entire world. And so you're forgiven. Now, when people hear me say that statement and, and preach like that, then what they go, well, that's a universalist. That's a universalism or whatever. That means that he believes everybody's saved. No, I do not believe everybody's saved. I believe everybody's forgiveness. Everybody's forgiven. The, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that, that God, was, God was in Christ reconciling the sin of the world unto himself, not imputing man's trespasses against them. In other words, God's not chasing you with a ledger book. God's not running around trying to pay you back for every. Listen, you're forgiven. Now, if you don't know you're forgiven, you won't enjoy the benefit of being forgiven. But let me say this. Forgiveness does not equal salvation. Why did you get quiet on that? Because if forgiveness equals salvation, then everybody's saved. Let's just put the mic down. Why are we, why are we straining? And let's go home and let's everybody, we see y'all in heaven. And then live like whatever. No. No. As many as received him. To them, he gave the power to become sons of God. You, you still have to receive him. You receive what? Receive the gift that God's offering to you. What you need is not forgiveness. That's already been given. What you need is life because you're dead in trespass and sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God didn't say, I'm mad at you. You need to ask me to forgive you. God said, the day you, you buy into that life is the day you die. God didn't say, the day you eat the wrong tree, I'm going to kill you. That's how I thought it read in the beginning. God got mad. I kicked you out of my guard. Get out of here. I'm mad. No, God said, I just put you out of here so that you won't be eternally in this perpetual state of darkness. You, you won't live like this forever. If you could just get that right from the beginning, God lets you know nobody's going to live like that forever in that fallen state. See law. That's something else for you to meditate on. It just ain't going to happen. God's will. He, no, it ain't going to happen. So God says he put them out of the garden and placed cherubims there at the entrance back to the garden to keep man's way back to the tree of life. Not, not, not to keep them from it, but to keep their way back to it. And he brought Jesus to do that. And we just miss so much. It's the goodness of God that leads men to think differently, to repent. Are you with me? So forgiveness don't equal salvation. Forgiveness is something that God's forgiven the world. When did that happen? 2,000 years ago on the cross. What causes God to forgive anybody? Shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, in 1 John 1 and 9, that verse, the only people that keep teaching and preaching this, they've got 10 verses, over 10 verses that say that you are forgiven and they reach and pull one verse out where Paul, where, first John, where John's talking to the Gnostics. And these were guys that said, we don't have, their sin don't exist and there's no such thing as sin. All God was saying, if you'll confess that there is sin, a noun that exists, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. So, that, that, you know, he said, because if we say we have no sin, we, we make God out a liar. Because Jesus came to shed his blood to remove sin. So what these guys are saying was, there's no such thing as that. You go over to chapter 2 of 1 John, and, and he says, your, your sins are forgiven. 
are, not will be. And all through the New Testament with Jesus' interaction with people, he, he, he never tells anybody to confess their sins in order to be forgiven. You won't find any apostle, no Jesus, nobody ever says somebody to confess to any kind of sin in order to be forgiven. It does not appear in the whole New Testament Bible. It's not there. That's why when the woman caught in adultery, Jesus didn't tell her, by your head, close your eyes, confess your sin, and I'll forgive you. She didn't say, boo. He told her, you're not condemned. He did encourage her, go and sin no more. But that was after he gave her the gift of no condemnation. The man lowered through the roof. Jesus looks at that man. Sir, son, your sins are, not will be if you confess them, are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven. Man didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. All through the Bible. The Philippian jailer, Acts 16. He's supposed to commit suicide because he thinks he's going to do it the easy way because he knows the king's going to do it the hard way. He thinks the prisoners have escaped. Paul and Silas in jail. You know the story. He's supposed to commit suicide. Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're all still here. He sees the power of God. He sees these guys are still not afraid. And then he asks them the most clear question. What must I do to be saved? Aren't you glad that's in the Bible? Let's see the answer to that question. What must I do to be saved? Paul says only one thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and your whole household. Notice there's no bow your head, no close your eyes, no say the sinner's prayer, no confess your sins. That's how the American church does it. But it's not in the Bible. It's in church services and it's in preacher's tongues, but it's not in the Bible. We, they come to Jesus, first thing we do is talk to them about sin. Because we don't believe that Jesus took away sin. Well, he took away some of it, but he didn't take away yours. So you have to confess yours. And don't forget and neglect to confess each and every one. Because if you forget to confess just one of them, you're doomed. <laughs> so I'm saved based on my memory, my ability to recall. You can't even remember the sins you did yesterday. <laughs> you can't. How ridiculous of a religion is that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. That's what it says. Man, y'all mighty quiet. That's what it says now. I know it kind of goes against the religious, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm here for. That's my jobby job, to tell you the truth. I want you to live like me decades believing all that lie. Because it's a horrible way to live. There's no peace in that. That's why so many, when I grew up, I mean, I, always, I was always wanting, thinking about giving up. Because I didn't think I was going to ever measure up nohow. And, I, and this, was been, this was my thought. It's probably just a sick head thought. But I was like, I'm missing all this fun with sin. And don't say sin ain't fun because the Bible says this. <laughs> Ivory, it ain't going to help me none today. I'm on my own. It says the pleasures of sin for a season. There is pleasure in sin or you wouldn't do it. It's in the book. Yeah. Listen. So I was always thinking I might as well just enjoy sin because I'm going to go to hell anyway. Because I'm not going to be able to confess. I'm, I'm just going to blow it. I know me. I'm going to blow it. 
So I might as well just give up on it and live like the devil and at least try to have fun right here before I go, you know, to hell. I was always tempted with that. Am I the only weird person that ever thought like that? Maybe I need deliverance. But I have been delivered from that lie. There's a big difference. And I want to say this to you. I could go down the line and give you works preacher, blood preacher, works preacher, blood preacher. I took the time yesterday to put more down, but let me just jump to this. I want to just say here where I left off last Sunday. It was Easter, trying to get you out, and I did get you out early. Aren't you glad? So, uh, but I didn't get to finish. These two things are always amazing to me. And so this Cain-Abel thing, these two religions, this two way of approaching God. You know, the, the, the works preacher will say, you know, God's holy. He can't look at sin. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll say things like he forsook, you know, he, he, turned, he, he you know, turned his face away from Jesus when he was on the cross. He forsook his son. And they base that on the statement that Jesus made from the cross. Father, my God, my God, why is that forsaken? Jesus is quoting out of the Psalms. Psalm chapter uh, 20, 21, 22, and 23. Those three Psalms, chapter, Psalm 21, Psalm 22, chapter, and the 23rd Psalm makes a messianic trilogy that every Jew knew by heart. Now, most of us in here know at least a portion of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, okay. Jesus is got, surrounded by Jews that are crucifying him. And Jesus is verbatim, line by line, quoting out of that trilogy of Psalms of exactly what it says the Messiah would say to let those people know that who's hanging up here is the Messiah. I am who I say I am. How can God forsake his son when he was in his son? For God was in Christ reconciling the sin of the world. If God would forsake Jesus, what hope do me and you have not to be forsaken? You see? But they'll say things to you like that. God's holy, can't look at sin. The Bible never says that. It never says that. How many has heard some preacher tell you God's so holy, can't look at sin? It's a lie. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, right or wrong? Did God come back? Did God talk to them? Did God look at them? See, lie. <laughs> you see, see how easy that was? It's, it's just ridiculous. And, and so I was raised on this. Oh, Lord, I come to you as humbly as I know how. And we just crawl to God like a worm. Hope he didn't just kill us on the way. Nobody told me, hold your head up in full confidence, like Hebrew says, and come boldly to the throne room of grace. Come boldly. And the Bible defines who are the bold. The bold are as, the righteous are bold as a lion. Well, whose righteousness are they bold in? Theirs? No, his. You just march right in there. Hey, God, what's up? I come in the name of Jesus. 
And you put me in Christ so you could te- treat me like Christ. I'm in Christ. Hey, Papa. <laughs> That's it, y'all. You just come boldly in the throne of grace. You don't base it on, well, have I been a good boy today? Did I read enough Bible? Did I pray enough? Man, please. You got to knock all that off. Just come boldly. I don't mean that you don't, you know, he's God. But he's your dad. He's your dad. He's your dad. Jesus introduced him as father. Nobody ever known God as father until Jesus got here. That's all Jesus ever said. Father, father. Only, one of the only times that Jesus ever said God to God is when he was hanging on the cross quoting out of the Psalm 22. My God, my God. That, that's because what the Psalm says. Anytime Jesus talked to his father, he said, Father. He knew that his father wasn't forsaken him. He was right there with him. He was in him. He was with him. Okay. I love you guys. Now, so this Cain and Abel thing. Cain is trying to approach God by something he's done. He tries to, he's trying to say, God, look at me. Look at this. Look at that. It don't matter what the this or that is. Okay. So we go where I left off last Sunday, then I'll be done. We got Syrophoenician woman. That means she's non-Jew. She's Gentile. So if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, right? Woman has a demon-possessed daughter that's being tormented. She cries out when Jesus is starting to come by her way, and she says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, there are a lot of people who wish some of this stuff wasn't in the Bible because it doesn't really shine a very good light on Jesus if you are ignorant of these things. It makes Jesus look non-caring. The Bible says in, uh, in, about this woman... I think it's Matthew 15, but Jesus, she cries loud, Son of David, have mercy on me. And it says this, Jesus, and it says, he answered her not a word. That's called ignoring her, people. He ignored her. Jesus will always ignore Cain's sacrifice. Jesus will always not answer the prayer of, of a Cain petition. He will answer you not a word. So if you're praying and God ain't talking back, you might need to check if we're talking from Cain's view or Abel's view. He answered her not a word. She cries louder to the disciples. Disciples say to Jesus, send her away. She troubles us. Jesus replies to that and says, I have only come to the house of Israel. And he says, it is not, and the woman's standing there, she can hear him. And he said, it is not right for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. In Jewish culture, the worst cut, the worst thing you could call a Jew was a dog. Jesus said, it's not right for me to give this dog bread I got remember what's the woman crying out son of David have mercy on me son of David have mercy on me son of David and you look at this whole scene you go well bless her heart and Jesus is treating her like that man that ain't nice what's up Jesus you first ignore the woman 
That's bad enough. Now you done called her a dog, and it ain't like good dog. What's up, dog? It ain't that kind of dog. This is a bad dog. <clears throat> this woman replies to being called a dog. Yay, Lord. You got me. Busted. <laughs> but man, my daughter's demon possessed. I'm just trying, whatever. But even the dogs, man, they eat the crumbs that fall from the table. Jesus looked at her and said, Woman, great is thy faith. Go your way. As you believe, so shall your daughter be. Now, what's the whole deal with all that? All Jesus is doing is trying to do what he tries to do with each of us, bring you to the point where you put faith, not in what you've done. What was this woman doing that was so wrong? Why would Jesus ignore her prayer? Why would he call her? Because she was fronting, y'all, as we call it. She was, she was trying to get her daughter delivered based on religion. Even though it was Jewish religion, it was still religion. She's saying, son of David. I told you she's a Gentile. She's not a daughter of David. She's not a Jew. She's not in covenant with God. She's not in that line. She has no right to access that petition. She is just fronting. She's trying to use religion to, to get God to do something for her. Son of David, have mercy on me. You should heal my daughter because I'm a daughter of the son of David and I'm a Jew. And Jesus goes, girl, you lying. You ain't no Jew. You're putting your faith in a religion. And I can't heal your daughter when you got faith in a religion because that's not faith in me. And all I'm trying to get you to do, and I'm not trying to be mean to you, but I'm trying you to stop all the religious stuff and stop putting your faith in something else that's not going to work and put your faith in my goodness. That you don't have to come with a religion. You don't have to come with a pedigree. You don't have to come with a genealogy. You don't have to come with your Bible study and your prayer and your giving. You just come to me because I'm good and you know I'm good. And you petition me. And because I'm good, I'll release my goodness to you and your daughter. That's all he was trying to do, man. He was just trying to get her to put faith in him as the Messiah. And once she, he took away her religion, and she was left with nothing, and she said, I just need crumbs. He said, girl, great is your faith in me. Your daughter's healed. Go home. Man, that's good. See, it's Cain Abel. The only other person in the whole New Testament Bible that Jesus ever said, great is your faith, is a centurion soldier whose servant was paralyzed and demonized. Luke records it. Matthew records it. They both record it. But Luke lets us know that if you read just Matthew's account, you will think the centurion himself actually went. He did not. He sent people. On his behalf. The Jews, listen, the Jews come to Jesus and they say, you need to heal this man's servant because he, it actually uses this word in the Bible, he is deserving. And then they define why he's deserving for he loves Israel and he built us a synagogue. In other words, he paid for it. He wrote a check. This is again approaching God with a Cain mentality, look at what I've done, therefore you owe me. 
it's no different than all my life in ministry. I've had people come up front and they gathered around in the early days and they said, we want to pray for this lady for healing. And so we would all maybe lay hands on her and begin to pray. And I would hear the prayers as they went forth. Oh, God, heal sister so-and-so. Lord, you know she's been a Sunday school teacher at this church for 20 years. She's been faithful to this house. She has served this house and she's served your people. And they just started enumerating all the reasons that God should answer the prayer and heal this woman. And you know what we did? We just played the prayer of Cain and God answered that not a word. And she came up sick and she returned to her seat sick. Because God cannot answer that kind of prayer. Because God's not going to heal her because she taught Sunday school for 20 years or because she's been a good person or because she served her people. God's not, he's going to heal her because his stripes. By his stripes you were healed. Nothing else. You don't add nothing to that. God will heal you if you're lost. You don't even got to be saved to get healed. That blew my mind when I first started seeing that in ministry. I saw God just heal people who didn't even claim salvation. They walked in a sinner, got healed, walked out a sinner. That'll blow your brains. But many And the New Testament's filled with that, by the way. Because many times after they've received and tasted of that goodness, then they release their heart to the Lord. Don't put any price. Don't charge anybody for what's free. You've been given it free. Don't make a charge for it. Grace is free. So the centurion, they, they said, he, he's building a city. See, all that's wrong. Now that guy wasn't saying that. Them Jews were saying that to Jesus. About that time, some more servants come, and, and he, says, he, he says to Jesus, my, my servant says to tell you this, don't come to his house, for he is not worth. Now remember, he's not a Jew. He's a Gentile centurion Roman soldier. The Jews hated the Roman soldiers unless you build them a synagogue. Then you're their buddy. Money causes people to change allegiances. They, they said, he, he told us to tell you this, Jesus. Don't come to his house. He's not worthy that you should come under his roof. That's, right, that's the reason he didn't even come himself. But he just said, if you'll just simply speak the word, he knows his servant will be made whole. For he's a man under authority. He says to one go and he goes and one come and he comes. So he just says speak the word. He's got confidence in your word. Jesus, it says this, listen, don't miss this. It says Jesus marveled. He marveled. And he looked around to those that were in attendance and he said, I have not seen so such great faith, no, not in all of Israel. He said, return. As his faith is, so be it. And when he returned to the house, his servant was made well. The only two people that Jesus commended for great faith was not Jewish people. And I mean no disrespect by that. I'm simply saying that the Jewish people had pride in their Jewish religion. Can I say this to you? Jesus did not leave heaven, become a man, come to earth to start a new religion called Christianity. Jesus came to bring life to those that were dead. He, he came to bring life to those dead. If you put your confidence in Christianity to save you or to heal you, deliver you, you're doing the same thing. If you're making the son of David cry because you're a Jew, you're doing the same thing. If you're doing it because you gave and built a synagogue or you helped do this or you taught Sunday school, you're doing the same thing. I'm telling you today, the difference between these two religions, these two brothers and these two preachers are massive. 
One, you will receive life, and that's the, through the blood of Jesus only, trusting in his sacrifice. The other, he will answer you not a word. And he's not trying to be mean to you. He loves you. He's trying to get you to drop all the other false religions that are empty, that are powerless. You need but one thing, faith in him. He's not going to save you because you're Baptist or you're Methodist or you're Pentecostal or you're charismatic. Nazarene, Tangerine, Assembly of God, Church of God. He ain't going to do none of that. Just because he's Jesus. Just because he's Jesus. He loves you. He wants you to drop all that other stuff and just with purity in heart come to him and trust in his goodness. Trust in his goodness. That's all. That's all he's ever tried to do. And he's not trying to be mean with these people in the New Testament when he interacts with them like that. He's trying to get them to drop all that Cain stuff and just put respond to what I've done. If you're going to point at something, point to what I've done on the cross. Don't come and tell me I've taught Sunday school for 20 years. Heal me. Don't come up here with an attitude, God, that you owe me. Look all I've done for you. I, I got caught up in that before, especially when I was younger especially when I was preaching, evangelizing for six years, leaving my family. And I, I catch myself sometimes, Lord, I don't understand this. Look at all I'm out, I love you, I've sacrificed. I, all I was doing was Cain, man. I was offering God my fruit basket. Look what, I, look what my sweat produced. And you're going to treat me like this? What's wrong with you? You owe me. No, he don't owe you nothing. He's already given you everything. You, you were paid in full before you got here. <laughs> Amen. Well, this ended a lot better than it started for me, I'll tell you that. Amen. Stand with me. Could, could I just get my elders uh, that are here to come? And, and, and I told you but the Sunday before Easter, we wanted to start back uh, praying with you if you desire that. And, and we know many of you do. And uh, we're just trying to be mindful of things. And. Uh, but we're sick of it, <laughs> to be honest with you. We want to pray with you, lay hands on you, pray for you for any reason that you may have. There's nothing greater than being here or listening on Facebook or however the podcast comes to you and you receive Christ and put your faith in Him as your Savior. And man, if you do that, would you just let me know, man, let us know that. That encourages the fire out of us when we see people that, that you know, change the way they think and they... They just put, I mean, a while ago when I was talking about that woman, man, you, you got to feel God when I, I mean, I was feeling him. It's so, it's so true. I used to read that story and didn't know, it just seemed Jesus was being mean to that woman. <laughs> I just didn't, I wish that wasn't in there. It kind of put him in a bad light kind of a deal. No, it put him in the most perfect light, perfect grace. It's just because I didn't understand what was going on. I missed that little nuance that the Bible goes to great lengths to say she is a, a Syrophoenician Gentile woman. It starts the story that way. God wants you to know that, listen, now this is a Gentile woman and she's trying to use Jewish religion to get me to heal her daughter. God said you don't need to do that. You don't need to bring anything to me but put your faith and confidence in what I've done. See how simple that is? And let the healing come. Let the deliverance come. Let, 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 let it come to you. So, would you bow your head and let's just pray. Father, oh, Father, we love you and we love by you so much. L let, let these people know. 
as I've done my best to do today, that they need to bring nothing but just their faith in what you've accomplished, in your sacrifice and what you've done. Let us have the spirit of Abel. Lord, your blood, your excellent sacrifice, your perfect sacrifice, it says it speaks for us today a more excellent word than Abel's blood ever could say. When Abel died and his blood went into the earth, you said that blood cried out to you for vengeance. It cried out from the earth that received it. But when the blood of Jesus went into the earth on the cross, it did not cry out for vengeance, but it cried out forgiveness to all mankind. It speaks a more excellent. Lord, we don't have to plead the blood. The blood pleads for us. The blood speaks on my behalf constantly, consistently. The blood of Jesus speaks eternally. Forgiveness to men. Invitation to life. And I pray those that listen to this today that don't know you as Savior will receive you. They've already been forgiven. Let them know that. Let them receive the benefit of that forgiveness by receiving life, by being born again, putting their faith and trust in you, in you alone. No sacrifices, no sweat, no labor, just in you. Those that need healing, let them not try to bargain with you, petition you, show you all the things they've done for you. Let them drop all of that lies. Let them come and confess what you've done by your stripes, Father. You said I was healed. I received that today just because you did it. And Lord, let healing come to many. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to pray with you, would you just come right now and just let us come, come to the front and let us pray with you? Would you do that? If you're not coming this way, you're dismissed. We love you so much.